for those of you who don't know, I've got a, I've got three, three, uh, three daughters. Yeah, yeah. So respect, respect. And uh, uh, I, I, I want to say three teenagers, but they're not all teenagers now. One's just turned twenty. Um, uh, but what I can say is, is one of the things that you say to your children um, as they grow up is. You know, um, and you would have had said to you, if you work hard, you'll, you'll do well. You know, you, you'll be blessed. Your, your things will work out. And I was thinking about that and thinking about the fact that it's really important for people to work hard. And, uh, and yet the truth is you can work really, really hard and you might not actually uh, be blessed in the way that you expected. You might not you still might not fulfill all your dreams. You still might not fulfill everything that you've got in your heart that you desire. You might not fulfill it if you work hard. And you can almost think, and, and sometimes there is this logic, it seems skewed, that oh, working hard won't get me uh, everything I want, so what's the point in working hard? And, and yet there is this really simple truth which is implicit in that phrase, if you work hard, you will be more successful than if you don't work hard. Yeah? If you work hard, you're likely to be more fruitful in life than if you don't work hard. I can't promise that you will be everything that you want to be. I can't promise that if you work hard you know, and your aim is to raise a, you know, earn a million pounds, I can't promise that you'll do that. I can't promise that you'll make it onto the stage or you'll become all that you want to be. But you will be in a better place than if you don't. It's a principle that is, that is implicit with a promise. If you work hard, this will happen. And what I want to talk about this morning, uh, uh, shortly, I've been told shortly by both my wife and one of my daughters, not too long, Dad, or Owen. Um, so what, what I want to talk about is that there are three things that I want to talk about, three principles I want to mention, and each of those principles comes with an implicit promise. If you do this, it will be better. I'm not saying it will be perfect. I'm not saying it will be everything you thought it would be, but it will be better than if you don't do it. If you sort of stick to these things, because every, every positive principle has, has, if you like, an opposite. So if you don't do this, you might end up doing this, and that won't be good. That won't be good for you. So we're going to look at just three principles and I've called this three things God blesses in marriage. Three things God blesses in marriage. Now I say this, I'm, I'm aware that not everyone here is married. And uh, not everyone here is at the moment sort of getting ready for marriage. But some of these principles, they apply whether you're married or not. They just apply in your relationships. If you, if, you, if you take the principle on, you can apply it not just to your spouse, but you can just apply it to your relationships, to your friends. That if you do these things, it will help. They are principles with an implicit promise. And I'd go as far as to say this. They are principles with an implicit promise that apply whether you be Christian or not. If you apply them, or some of them, some of them will be easier to apply if you're if you're not a Christian than others, but if you apply them to your life, implicit in that will be, will be, is the promise, is the blessing that comes with it. 
I'm sure there are many things I could have talked about, but the three things that God blesses are these. And I forgive the alliteration. I can't help it. I can't help it. Faithfulness, fidelity, and forgiveness. Faithfulness, fidelity, and forgiveness. If you apply those to your life, your life will be better than if you don't apply them. Your life will be better than if you don't apply them. You don't have to apply them, but if you do, if you choose, as as Bill was talking about the core, if you principally go, these are the things we're going to build upon, things will be better for you than if you don't do that. Faithfulness, fidelity, and forgiveness. So the first one, faithfulness. What I mean by that is a radical commitment to one another, your growth and your development. You see, the bottom line here is that, is that God, all our relationships, and the married relationship in particular, is a, is a shadow or an image of our relationship with God or God's relationship to us. And what we find when you read in the Bible, and there, there are so many scriptures, I, I, I'm not even uh, tr- trying to sort of name them, that, that God does two things. First of all, he promises to be with you, us, me. God promises to be with us. That's one thing that he does. The other thing that he does is he promises to change us. God promises to be with you, and in that he accepts you as you are, but he also promises to change you. And God uses circumstances, situations, and various things to change you, to make you different, to make you better. Uh, the Bible says in the New Testament that we would, it would be until Christ is formed in us. If you're a Christian, until Christ is fully formed in you, God will continue to work in your life. And, and that will happen until the day you die because Christ won't be fully formed in you until then. So there is this faithfulness that comes from God, which is about um, his commitment to being with us and his commitment to changing us. And that very same faithfulness is required in marriage. It's required in our relationships. So when I got married to Pauline, I was doing two things. I was committing myself to be with her. Radical commitment. I am with you now. I share, it talks about sharing everything. I share everything with you now. It talks about two becoming one. I'm no longer my own anymore. I'm committed to you now. But the other thing that comes with that, which sometimes we miss, is this, this being with you, I'm also committed to seeing you change. I'm committed to seeing you grow. I'm committed to seeing you develop. Now, we don't often think about that because often we say, oh, you know, don't marry someone and expecting them to change. Yeah, you know, you might think, you know, you, find, you found a guy, you found a girl, and you think, yeah, I really love them. There are some things I don't like about them, and I will change those things. And someone will say, no, 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 don't try and change them. And there is, there is some truth in that. Don't try and change them. Don't set out with that sort of mission to make them different. But there is something about when you get married or in good relationships, God will change you through the relationship. And that actually, God designs you to be changed through the relationship. And that it's not just a case of, well, no, you're here, you're there, and your growth is your problem. No, your growth becomes my problem. Yeah? My growth is partly Pauline's problem. 
And some of you think, That's, I'm glad it's her. <laughs> yeah? I'm glad it's her problem. And, and, uh, and that's how the relationship works. There is a faithful commitment to one another, but there's also a faithful commitment to seeing one another grow and develop. If you don't do that, you miss out and they miss out. And, and you know, not, I haven't got anyone particular in mind, but sometimes you can meet couples and you think to yourself, ah, there have been moments where she needed to challenge him and she didn't. And so he's developed in a particular way where had she challenged him, that particular trait wouldn't be there and that particular trait is not a good one. You need to be able to do that. Your commitment is to challenge and to change. It's part of what God has for us. It's faithfulness to radical commitment to one another. It was interesting when Bill and Jen talked about, they talked about, Bill talked about the situation when, uh, where Jen was unwell. You see, sometimes faithfulness and a radical commitment comes down to this. Sometimes you just need to hold on. Sometimes you just need to hold on. I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine, uh, he was preaching in the, in the old church that I was in, and he described this situation that his was wife was in. I don't think I've used this illustration before. Forgive me if I have. They'd gone, I think they'd gone skiing, and they were on a chairlift going up the mountain. And uh, he was sitting next to his son, and they're looking out over the valley, and it's wonderful, and it's serene. His wife was sitting next to their daughter, where things were anything but calm and serene. So they're going up a chairlift. You know what they're like. Sometimes the drop can be hundreds of feet. Yeah? I mean, I get scared when the drop is eight feet. Yeah? But they're going up this chairlift, um, and the daughter was going crazy next to the wife. She's going mad. She's screaming, she's kicking, and, and, uh, and you know, she's just making a whole load of fuss. And it took all the mum's strength just to hold on. He's in the, the chair behind. There's nothing he can do apart from, I suppose, watch and pray. There's no point in shouting. Oh, you need, stop it. It's, it that's not going to help. All she could do through her own tears, every ounce of strength she had, was simply, I've just got to hold on. This is not a moment for almost reasoned discussion. This is not a moment for discipline. This is just a moment to hold. I've just got to hold on. Just got to hold on. Because if I don't hold on here, this could be disastrous. So I must hold on. That reminds me of marriage sometimes. Because sometimes in marriage, a husband or a wife can have a chairlift moment where you're going crazy. And your partner's thinking, what an, what's happened? Things were going okay and suddenly it's all just gone a bit crazy. I don't understand what's going on, what changes are happening. I don't get it. In those moments... Sometimes all you can do is hold on. It's not the moment to reason, because it's not reasoning moment. It's not the moment to challenge. It's just about holding on. Because, because what's bigger than this moment is this overall commitment that you've made to one another, for better, for worse. 
And yet at times in that moment, you can think, oh my goodness, I didn't, I didn't marry that. I didn't expect marriage to be that hard. If marriage is going to be that hard, then I think we need to renegotiate what's going on here. I expected it to be fun. It was always fun when we dated. What's happened? Sometimes radical commitment, faithfulness, means you hold on. You hold on. And I'm not, I, please don't mishear me. When, you know, as a guy, and I've got a wife and I've got three daughters, sometimes you don't know what you're holding on to. It's like soap. I'm like holding. I thought that was the thing. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm just going to go to the bedroom. <laughs> And I say that, but I've just got to say, guys, you've got to come out the bedroom. <laughs> you have to come out the bedroom. You have to engage. Difficult as it may be, it's like playing on a wicket in India and you don't know where the ball's going to turn. Sometimes you just have to do it. Sometimes it takes all you can to hold on because your vows are in sickness and in health for better for worse. Faithfulness is also, as I said, about pursuing the growth and development of your spouse. And what I mean by that, and I mean this literally, your spouse's issues become your issues. That's how it should be, because the two have become one. Your spouse's issues become your issues. And I thought it was really great the way Bill described it when he was talking about Jen. He said, he kept talking about, we then had to sort that out. We then had to think about what were we going to do. We then were thinking, and I think that's how, exactly how you have to do it. It's very easy when you're married to go, well, my love, you're going to have to sort that, aren't you? Yeah? You're just going to have to get that one, you know, sort that one out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go to the bedroom. You just need to sort that out. No, that's not how it's meant to work. The two become one. The strength is in the three, is in the, is in the, the togetherness. The strength is not in the pointing out the problem. Yeah? Anyone can point out a problem. The strength is in owning the problem. Because you won't point out so many problems when you realise, oh no, it's my problem as well. You realise, oh, okay, I just need to be a bit more graceful here. Because if I point out that problem, she's just going to say, well, that's your problem as well then, isn't it? And that's right. You need to take on the problem. And you need to be as committed to seeing your spouse change in that area as they are committed to changing. You need to put all your hours and your thoughts and your prayers into help. That's what you need to do. That's what it means to be radically committed to one another and your growth and development. That's how God is with us. That's how we should be with others. So the first principle that comes with this implicit promise is faithfulness. If you're faithful, it will be better than if you're not faithful. Because the opposite of faithfulness is unfaithfulness. And it means that you're not committed. It means that you don't really care. And it means that inside you shut down. And you just hope that it all happens around you. The second thing is fidelity. Fidelity. And another way of describing that would be it's the principle of keeping yourselves for one another. Sometimes 
you have to set boundaries to keep you and each other in and to keep others out. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to set boundaries which keep one another in and keep other people out. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4 says this, The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Let me just say what that's not saying. That is not saying that you as the husband or you as the wife can simply demand of your spouse their body whenever you like it. That's not, it's not saying that. You can't quote that scripture in a moment when you want sex and she's like, and you've all had issues and you're like, well, we'd, you know, 1 Corinthians 7, 4, do you remember that verse? That's, that's not the way to use it. Yeah? It's not saying that. Yeah? But what it is saying is there is an exclusivity in your relationship which means at times you need to set the boundaries which others do not come into. This is your boundary. This is your relationship. Fidelity, keep yourselves for one another. God will bless that. God will bless that. The vows tell us, with my body, I honour you. If I don't practice fidelity, I am not honouring you with my body. All that I am, I give to you. There needs to be that exclusivity in the relationship. That most, that most intimate moment physically needs to be kept for within that relationship. But I just want to say this as well, because we don't often think about this. Fidelity is not just about the physical relationship. It's not just about, oh, you know, uh, we need to keep ourselves physically for one another. Of course it is about that. But there's also spiritual and emotional fidelity. There is a boundary which should not be crossed. There's a relationship. There is a thing between you and your spouse where you're vulnerable and you're open and they see you at your best and they see you at that your worst. And you might have, if you're a woman, you might have some really good girlfriends that you talk to and there's a guy, you might have some guys that you talk to. But this, this is to be kept. This is to be kept. And that you need to be able to hold yourselves and keep your boundaries, even when that's difficult, even when there are moments when you think, like emotionally, do you know what, we're just not connecting. Because sometimes we don't go and commit physical adultery. But sometimes we look to somewhere else for spiritual or emotional connection. And that's no better. God doesn't bless that. God doesn't bless infidelity when it comes to the spiritual and the emotional side of your marriage. Sometimes you just have to set boundaries to keep yourselves in and to keep others out. And that can be a challenge, particularly, uh, I think, as husbands, it can be a challenge because for some husbands, you know, that emotional side is, is sort of, you know, it's not as forthcoming. And what you can do with that is you can just accept that that's the way you are. Your spouse accepts that's the way you are. And so she finds emotional thing elsewhere with her mates or whatever it is. Actually, husbands, remembering what the Bible says about your role, yeah, 
that you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are to give yourself up for her. You are to become like that. It's not to say every other week you're going to start crying. Yeah? You know, I feel your pain, I know. It's not to say that at all. But you need to learn to connect, and you've got to stop. We've got to stop going, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah? Now, I understand that. I've got four females in the house. I do understand that. But there needs to be fidelity with Pauline emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes that's important because your spouse goes through a chairlift moment. And you need, to, you need to be able to hold on. You need to be able to keep the boundary. And God blesses that. Do you know what? You don't need to be a Christian to receive that blessing. God will bless that if, you're, if you have that in your relationship. And the third and final one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Bearing one to another. Do you know what? When it comes to forgiveness, sometimes you just have to let go. Sometimes you just have to let go. And sometimes I think about marriage and, and uh, it, metaphorically speaking, it can, it, some marriages end up like a boxing match, don't they? Where you're, you know, there's no physical stuff involved, but every two days you end up like this and you're sparring with one another, and you're jabbing, and you're fighting. And that's how you relate. And, and, oh, I delivered a knockout blow the other day. Sometimes that's how it is in marriage. And and those, where it is like that in marriage, it's because we haven't got the principle of forgiveness in the centre of the marriage. Because the principle of forgiveness means that sometimes you just let go. Sometimes you just go, do you know what? There's a much bigger thing going on here. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. Colossians 3 says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Sometimes you can get into a little bit of a a thing, a sort of a, a tiff or whatever it is with your partner. And you know what it's like. You begin to remind them of other tiffs, of other things. You use the term always. It's always, it's always. Sometimes you have to let go. Sometimes you have to forgive. Sometimes you have to resolve your stuff. You have to sort it. Marriages that God blesses are marriages that practice forgiveness. And again, it's like Jen talked about. She talked about um, sometimes it's more than just words. When you say, I love you, it's more than that. And sometimes it's more than saying you're sorry. Yeah? Because we live in a very polite society where people can say they're sorry and they're not sorry. Yeah? Sorry is not a word. Sorry is an action. Sorry comes with something. If I'm going to say I'm sorry about something, then I need to be able to let go of that thing. I mean, Jesus tells the story of two, two men who are, who are sort of given a job to do. They're both asked to go and work in a field. And, and one of them says, yeah, I'll go. And he doesn't go. 
And the other one says, oh, I'm not going to go. And he does go. And he asks the question, which of those men did, did what they were asked to do? And although there was one who said he wasn't going to go, in the end he did go. So he did what he, he was asked to do. It's not enough to say sorry. And sometimes we can accept it because it's a very polite thing to do. And I'm not saying we shouldn't say sorry, but I am saying don't say sorry if you don't mean it. Sort it. Sort it. So that you can live in a relationship of forgiveness with your spouse. I want to say one other thing about forgiveness, though. Because we talk about the... um, uh, We talked in in their sort of... um, their vows, I read that passage from Ecclesiastes where it talked about two people in agreement and the power of that, the power of agreement. Sometimes in marriage, you can be hurt by people not in your marriage. Yeah, there's you two and maybe it's all great between you and you've learned to sort your stuff. But out here, somebody hurts you. There are, there are opportunities and there are dangers with that. One of the dangers with it is this. My spouse has been hurt, so I am hurt. You have hurt her, that means you've hurt me. And what happens is you agree together and you don't come to a place of forgiveness because now you're both hurt. And so there is power in that because you can then make all sorts of decisions based on the fact that there is hurt and unforgiveness in your relationship. So you need to understand how to apply The principle, the principle you apply when your spouse has been hurt by the outside is not the principle of, oh, right, yeah, you know, I've got a really sort of, uh, your issue is my issue. Yeah, they're going to hurt you, they've hurt me. Yeah, that's not the principle to apply in that situation. The principle to apply is the commitment to growth and development. Let me give you an example of how we've done this in our marriage. Yeah? So Pauline and I respond differently to hurt. When I'm hurt, I like to wallow. Yeah? Oh, it's been really hard. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, just being honest, that's how I am. When Pauline's hurt, she wants to like, you know, she's, she's coming for you. <laughs> yeah? So we respond very differently. Yeah, I want to wallow in my stuff. She's ready to deal with somebody. Yeah? So what we do is Pauline, and, and this, is, this is the truth of it, never allows me to wallow. She doesn't allow it. Yeah, so I want, I want to metaphorically put my head down and go, oh, my love, just straighten my head because I'm... She's like, no, I mean, just sort it out. Get on with it. I'm not allowed to wallow. I'm not allowed to. In the same way, I don't allow Pauline to respond how she would respond. Yeah, she's ready to fight. Yeah, so I say, my love, that's not how we do it, is it? That's not how we do it. And so what that means is there is very rarely a situation where Pauline and I sit together and we're both wallowing and we're in our stuff and we're both struggling together with exactly the same thing because actually there's no one to get us out. Yeah? And and I know this to be true because when I worked for the church previously, I used to come home with stuff. I remember the first few times I came home with stuff, I was really surprised that Pauline didn't go, oh, Owen, it must be so hard. I was like, yeah. She didn't do that. I was surprised. She didn't do that. She was like, 
do you know what? When they said that to you, I've seen that in you as well. I was like, no, you're not meant to do that. You're meant to be on my side. But actually, through allowing that process, allowing myself to hear that, I grew far more than I would have done had Pauline said, oh, yeah, I mean, that's really difficult. I didn't, she didn't allow me to do that. And at first I found it hard, but do you know what we learned to do through that process? We learned to talk things through. Yeah? And, and I'm not just saying this, that this would be the truth of us. M- nearly everything that we've had to, we've, we, we've gone through in our marriage, we talk it through almost to a conclusion. There's one or two things in our relationship that I would say are unresolved, and, and we know what they are, <laughs> and we know where the issue is. But most things, we talk it through. We've had to talk it through. I was forced to talk it through because I wasn't allowed to wallow in it. I wasn't allowed just to lie down and, and wish, wish things were different, yeah? Because she didn't allow me to do that. Forgiveness and understanding the power of the two You just need to be careful when it comes to people outside that you don't allow that hurt to sit here, that unforgiveness to sit in the middle. So that when that person, your spouse responds to that person in a negative way, you're responding in a negative way as well. Because that doesn't help anyone. You've got to know lovingly how to go, my love, we don't do it like that, do we? Or no, I mean, don't, don't, sort it out. Get up, sort it out. And that's been, a, for us, I think one of the most gracious things God has done for us is that ability to be able to sort things out. It's a really simple summary. And I return to what I said at the beginning. There's an implicit promise in the principles of faithfulness, fidelity, and forgiveness. Practice them, and it will be better for you than if you don't practice them. Because what's the opposite of faithfulness is unfaithfulness. The opposite of fidelity is infidelity. And the opposite of forgiveness is unforgiveness. And those things don't help. (laughs) It doesn't help to live with unforgiveness issues. It doesn't help to be unfaithful and it doesn't help to, be, to have infidelity in a marriage. If you want your marriage to be blessed, these are promises that come implicit in those principles and God will bless you. Just a final thought. I like to describe marriage as being the gospel. And the gospel is the the message of grace that we have from God, that that God sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. That we were accepted before we ever turned to him, that it wasn't through your, your good efforts that you can come to God, it was through his grace that you can come to him. That actually, if you turn and repent, you you can be forgiven, you can know the forgiveness of God that Jesus sacrificed himself. And all of those principles apply in marriage. Marriages must be built on grace. They must be built on that relationship which says, I accept you as you are. If they are not built on grace, you will have an underlying tension from day one. 
They must be built on grace. But at the same time as building your marriage on grace, you recognize part of the thing that God has brought us together to do is to change one another. So that means I must be open. Marriage is about sacrifice. And actually in Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands giving themselves, sacrificing themselves for their wives. Marriage is also about submission. It's about wives giving themselves in submission to their husbands as to the Lord, it says. If you apply that, not only will marriage be better, but actually it's a, it's an image, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what God has done for us. It's a model of sacrifice and submission. And we see that in Jesus, how he responds to us, and we can see that in marriage. It's been a great time, I think, just to celebrate marriage. And I'm so grateful that in this church there are lots of good and strong marriages. And, and I, I will forever try and inspire that and encourage that because of what it does and because of what it shows us. Okay, I'm going to pray and I think we're going to sing one final song.